right, Mark chapter number one, if you will. Mark chapter one. And then we're going to, uh, we got, to, we went through the first three verses, so now we're going to get down here. Uh, we'll start reading in verse one as we go here, and then we will uh, hopefully get down through uh, the first couple, eight verses here, so we'll see. Uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets. And again, that's the point here in Mark. We looked at last time. He begins to give a record of the gospel, of the good news, of the glad tidings of Jesus Christ, as it is written in the prophets. And he quotes two prophets, the first one, Malachi 3, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. And then he quotes Isaiah 40, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And again, the issue here is uh, who John the Baptist is. He marks the beginning. Uh, Mark, Mark uses him to mark the beginning. He is the voice. He is the messenger. So God is now has, is breaking the 400 years of silence uh, um, that he talks about in Daniel and he talks about in other of the, of the prophets. And now it's time to announce the days of the Messiah. And he's here. And the messenger is here. The message, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Again, that's Isaiah 40 in verse 3. Uh, that voice then goes on in Isaiah 40 down in verse number 9 and cry and describes in, in the voice there of the coming of the kingdom. So you have in verse 2... When he quotes out of Malachi 3, if you remember there, well, the end of that verse, which shall prepare thy way before thee, and Malachi 3 has me, so he's Jehovah. And then in uh, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And there again is the way of Jehovah. So they know that the Lord Jesus Christ is Jehovah. There's no question about it. They know that he is God in human flesh. They know he is the Messiah. I'm about to sneeze, so that's kind of why I paused there a little bit. I got my, my, do, my rag right here just in case because the pollen or something got me earlier. So, so Isaiah 40, again, the quotes here by Mark, and again, this is boom, boom, boom. <laughs> He's not, Mark's not holding back anything and he talks about the kingdom. Actually, if you look at verse 14, now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And that's really what the gospel is going to be about, is that issue of the kingdom. So the whole message here uh, is, is a narrative about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his earthly ministry, and then the issue of the proclamation of the kingdom is now at hand. And there's going to be everything that the prophets talked about, the Messiah and about the coming kingdom, it's here now and it's time. So as Mark begins to do this, John the Baptist, we, again we looked last time, he isn't starting anything new as in a new program. But rather, he's going to announce that now, uh, look over with me to Luke 16. Luke 16 and verse 16. This is a verse to always have in, our, in the back of our mind. With John, and what, when, Paul, when Mark says the beginning of, John the Baptist is that transitional figure and he's the transitioning Israel from verse 16, Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. He's moving them from the law and the prophets are, are what everybody talked about. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. Now we're preaching what? The kingdom, but that's everything the law and the prophets talked about. So the law and the prophets have been talking about the, king, the kingdom coming, the Messiah coming, the, the incarnation, the whole bit. And Mark says, John's the one that triggers this new 
uh, opportunity for Israel in that now here is their Messiah. Go back to Mark 1. And here is the kingdom, and it is at hand. So, so the offer. So John the Baptist is moving them from the law and the prophets to now the offer of the kingdom, the offer of the Messiah now in their presence. And what we begin to have here is the beginning of, his, of, 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 of a historical narrative in Mark 1, in Mark, about the Lord Jesus Christ as it is written in the prophets. And he's going to be talking about the events. I, I, we said it a couple times now. Mark is not going to have a lot of narrative and a lot of the preaching scenes and the discussions. It's rather going to be this action-packed movement and it's literally a chronological life events of the Lord. And he did this, and he did this, and he did this. Where, you, you, if you look back in Luke 1, read, read down there, verse 4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of the repentance for the remissions of sins. And there went out, un, uh, out unto him all the land of Judea and they, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. By the way, Matthew 3, there's more to that, what John says in Matthew 3, verse 11 there. I'm going to baptize you with water, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost, and he's going to baptize you with fire. Why doesn't Mark say fire? Well, why does Matthew say fire? Who executes judgment? A king does. The servant doesn't execute judgment, so he leaves that be. Verse 9, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth, of Galilee that was baptized of John and Jordan. See how he just runs right through the baptism of John and you go over there uh, the, where John baptizes the Lord and in John 1, it's half of the chapter. It's just one blanket statement. Look at verse 12. Uh, and immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan and was with the wild beast and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that, John was put in prison. See how just boom, just boom, boom, boom. No, oh, wait a minute, we have all this. No, The temptation of Christ, Luke 4, Matthew 4, takes up a majority of the chapter that those sit in. So when we're coming here, he, he's, not, he, he's, he's telling you, here are the events, and here's, here's what the prophets said about those events and here's the, that, the prophet said the Messiah is going to do this, and guess what? He did it. So guess who he is? Messiah. The, Messiah, the prophet said he's going to do that. Guess what? He's John the Baptist because he did it. It's really quick. It's really fast. It's really something that just moves right on and along. Okay? Now, one thing I didn't do last time, I'm going to do this evening real quick here is notice in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel. Okay? He doesn't say the end of the gospel. He, he says the beginning of it. As it is written in the prophets, now the beginning of this good news, the glad tidings of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now come over to Romans 1. Because what happens here is, because of how Paul starts the book of Romans, and if you go back, I think we're on lesson 72 in our study in Romans, so go back to 70, go back 70 lessons, and we deal with this intro with Paul here. But notice 1 1 Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of who? The gospel of God. Here's the good news that God originally had. All right, verse 2, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. That verse right there throws a monkey wrench in everything, in most people's thinking, because, well, did, did Paul preach a gospel that was kept secret since before the foundation of the world? Yes, 
a mystery. But yet there he says that the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Wait a minute. So did he or did he not preach some information that was kept secret, but also was contained in the Old Testament? And the answer is yes. And yes to both. Now, notice verse 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, the gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and delivered to, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom, okay, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. God had promised in Genesis 3 verse 15 a redeemer. That Redeemer, in Genesis 3.15, is said to be the seed of the woman. We know now that it turns out to really be who? The Lord Jesus Christ. We know that the seed of the woman became the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, the seed of Jacob, and then within Jacob, the tribe of Judah, and then within Judah, the specific family of Jesse with David. Okay? We know that. And by the way, that is a progressive revelation of the Redeemer doctrine. Prophesied, promised. That's what he says, verse 2. Which he had promised afore by his prophets. What did he promise? Genesis 3.15. A Redeemer. A Savior. He, okay? Then Paul says, verse 5, by whom? Jesus Christ is declared to be the seed. He's declared to be the redeemer by what? The end of verse 4. By the resurrection from the dead. By whom? So the resurrected Messiah, Israel's Messiah, he's resurrected now, does what? Reaches down to Paul and starts something new with Paul. He is going to be, verse 5 is clear, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to faith among all, the na all nations. All, again, not many, not the restricted message. But now he's going to be sent out by Israel's Messiah, who is now available to who? All the nations, to us all. Not through Israel's covenant and promises, but rather now it's by his grace and apostleship. Because there is only one Redeemer. That's the issue. That's what the seed line is all about. Remember Isaac and Ishmael, Esau and Jacob? There's only one. Because there's only one Redeemer. He only died one time. God has a plan and a purpose that focuses in on his son, and that is to have him be the head over the government of the universe in Israel and the earth and in the body of Christ in the heavenly places. But there's only one Redeemer. So when Paul says Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, well, the cross has been prophesied since Genesis 3.15. And progressively, we've gotten more information about those events. And with Paul, that progressive revelation is now coming to its final installment. Okay? But, that, but the reason why Paul reaches back into that old back there in Romans 1 is because it's it's Israel's Messiah. He's, he's their Redeemer. He's their guy. But he's now also ours. And that's important here. And, it, and everything, our justification, our redemption, our reconciliation, our life, all of it is done by and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So come back to Mark 1. So when Mark 1 starts, the beginning of, people use this to say, 
That's the start of the body of Christ. And they tweak it. And they've got an agenda not to give Paul his apostleship. And they say, see, even Paul says, Romans 1, that he's reaching way back over there. And Paul isn't saying that at all. Paul's saying, listen, the same guy, <laughs> he died once. One redeemer, one savior for all of man, Isaiah says. Then there he is. Again, he says the beginning of. He doesn't say the end. This is the beginning. And the doctrine that Paul introduces into us is that final installment of the revelation concerning his son, Jesus Christ, of the seed of David. By the way, Paul says that <coughs> issue about the seed of David. He says it again in 2 Timothy 2 over there that, by my gospel, he was raised from the dead. So there's a, there's, a, there's a thing there that you have to pay very close attention to. Why is Paul doing that? Because there's only one. There's only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So he goes back to the, to the promise doctor information so that we know something. Paul, I'm talking about, Romans 1. So that we know he is really who he says he is. In Acts, Paul goes in and he's reasoning from the scriptures, though, in synagogue, and he's proving that Jesus is the Christ. How in the world do you and I know that this, this guy that we're going to be reading about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that in the last chapters of those books dies, how do we know he's the one? Paul reaches all the way back and says, it's been, it's, he's the guy. He's the one that God has been planning to do all of this along, all along with. And he is going to make, God's making Israel's Messiah our Savior. They're connected. Okay? I didn't do that last time we were here, but look now at verse 4. Let's just kind of jump back in here. Mark 1, 4. I'm sorry, we need to be in Mark 1. Because we're going to jump in here with John, all right? John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they, and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins, and John was clothed with can Do you see how he just gets going? There's no any there's nothing of Luke 1, 70 something verses of, of where John came from. There's none of the John 1 1, you know, one stuff where he's a man sent from God. None of that. It's just boom, 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 all the way down to verse 14, where now there's the Lord Jesus Christ. So within 14 verses. <laughs> There's a lot of information going on. But that's demonstrating to you how Mark is going to be. He's Mark, he begins with a concise, dramatic introduction. This happened and this happened. Boom, boom, boom. And here's how Mark is going to be the rest of the way, the whole of it. He's going to present Jesus Christ as... As the servant, because that's where we're at. Look at verse 1. Notice the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 2. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. What do the prophets say he is? He's Jehovah. Verse 7. And, the pre and preached, saying... John's going to say, there cometh one mightier than I after me. What's he going to say? He's, he's what? Mightier than I. Verse 11. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What's the Father say? You're the Son. He's introducing Jesus Christ here, and there's no question that by the time we get to verse 14, which won't be tonight, okay, <laughs> When, they entered, when, when, when Jesus Christ shows up, you know exactly who he is. He's co he covers a lot of ground, Mark does. 
And again, that's how Mark's going to be. He's going to move through this quickly. Now, we're not going to move so quickly because uh, there's a lot going on, especially when we get down to verse 14 and 15. Actually, there's a lot going on in verse 13. The wild beast and all that good stuff, we'll get into that hopefully next time. So what you have here is you have Mark moving. Now come over with me to Isaiah 42. And, and this, is that, this is the behold statement for Mark, Isaiah 42, verse 1. And you will notice this if you bend your page back, if you've got a book, and compare between Mark 1 and Isaiah 42, because here's exactly what Mark is doing. 42.1, Behold my servant whom I uphold mine elect, and whom I my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Notice, here's my servant. Behold the servant, Mark, that, that declaration. Then he says, my elect in whom I delight. What did the father say in Mark 1.11? Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There's my delight. Then he's going to come along. He's, he, he, he says, behold my servant. Prepare you the way, here he comes. He's going to put the Spirit on him in soul delight. There's the first 11 verses in Mark 1 right there. Bam. Mark just goes right through it, gets on with it. So when you come back to Mark, again, he's not going to dilly-dally. We will in some of it. <laughs> and you know, I've been, you know, you read the book and then you start trying to study and put together and there's a lot going on that Mark is not ignoring it's just his goal is to what? Here's the servant. And, we're, and with the servant, we're concerned with what he can accomplish. What can he do? Now, Mark 1, verse 4. Let's talk about John. John the Baptist. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sin. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sin. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with the girdle of a skin about his loins and he did eat locusts and wild honey and preached saying. Notice the whole here of John's ministry. See that? He preached saying... There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. That, it's, that's it. Nothing that we read the first three chapters where he's talk, you know, he goes and does this, and then he goes and does this, and then he's over. Or Matthew, you know, you start in chapter 3, 4, and 5. It's all about until John's what? Thrown in jail. Then when John throws in jail, Matthew 4, now the Lord goes out. None of that long, here, it's boom, here it is. Now, think about the, the girdle of a skin about his loins, and the camel's hair with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey. It, there's a fascinating thing. Why did, he, why did he look like that? John is 30 years old. He should, he's born of the priest. Zacharias and Elizabeth were of the priest, Levite. He should have been in the city, in the temple, clothed in the temple garments, the priestly garments, sorry. And yet, where is he? He's outside the camp, in the wilderness, and he looks like a hobo. Okay? Come back to Leviticus uh, um, 11. Well, why does he, what, what's going on there? Well, his design, he, he's, he, it's in order for them to do what? Stand out. Be different. And, and that's really, if you think about what God did with Israel, that's what he's doing here. In Leviticus 11, you have Israel's dietary laws, okay? Why in the world would he say you can't have bacon, and you can't have shrimp, and you can't have scallops? Why say that? Well, health-wise isn't the issue, because all of that's healthy, it is. It's to do what, though? It's to pull out that, peop that purified, that peculiar people. Now, what I want you to look at is look at verse 22. Even these of them ye may eat, 
the locusts after his kind and the what? Bald locusts after his kind and the beetle, uh, you, they can eat that. What in the world is a bald locust? Didn't, I didn't know they had hair either. But you think about that. Here you've got a guy who's dressed up. He's being, I, he's, John is being set apart. He's out, in the de- he's out in the wilderness. Okay, we'll get there in just a minute with what that looks like. And what's he look? He's got a can- He's got long hair. He's underneath that Nazarite vow. He's got long hair. He's got a camel's hair on him. He's a- and he's sitting over there eating bald locusts and wild honey. The point in this, and back, go back to Mark one here, is that he's not where he's supposed to be. He's not in Jerusalem. He's out in the wilderness. Last time we looked, we'll, we'll read a verse here in a minute, when the Lord says, why did you go out there? Who are you looking for? You looking for a sissy? The sissies are down in the, in the king's court. Are you looking for, no, you're looking for a prophet. You're looking for a reed that's bouncing in the wind, blowing, or no, you're looking for somebody there. You're looking for the prophet of God. And where is he? He's out in the wilderness. And what's he crying? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's the voice. He's the prophet. Verse 4, John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. He's, He's the first one in Scripture to be a Baptist. He's in the the wilderness, so he's not where he should be. His clothing is not the clothing of the priest. Again, he should have been in the temple with the priestly garments, doing what he said. Yet, where is he? He's out in the wilderness. If you look down there at verse 12, and immediately the Spirit driveth him, that's the Lord, into the wilderness. So the wilderness is not a good place for Israel to be. It's a place of danger. If you look there at verse 13, there was the, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was, and was with the wild beast. It's a place of danger. It's a place of deprivation. It's outside the camp. And John the Baptist is out there preaching, repent. Don't go into that city over there, Jerusalem. You need to come over here. Don't go into that temple. You need to come over here and do this. The stuff in Jerusalem and stuff in the temple is apostate. It's it's in the lie program. It's all underneath idolatry. You need to come over here and get into what's going to be called the believing remnant, the little flock. Verse 5, And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized. He calls them all out. And you know what he says? Repent. Change your mind about going there to Jerusalem and to the temple. Don't go there. You need to come over here. And this, again, this is exactly what the prophets said were going to happen. You have to remember, we've done this. Isaiah there calls Israel a vine. And um, uh, Isaiah 5 describes Israel as a vine planted. Okay? That vine, there's an interior nation. It's called the believing remnant, that little flock. The door into that is baptism. We'll see that as we go here. They're to come out here. The nation as a whole is apostate. They're off. Come over with me to Hosea 2. Notice it here. Hosea 2. They're they're out. It's one thing. In order to get into the little flock, into this believing remnant, this is where John the Baptist is at, you have to physically be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. You have to physically be there, but now you also have to be there spiritually to be a part of Israel. 
So, and that's what the four Gospels are really all about, is not the physical part, it's the spiritual part. We already understand that you are Israel, but now you have to be something different. Look at Hosea 2, and look at verse number 14. Here is exactly what is happening with John the Baptist and his ministry. Therefore, behold, I, now the I there is Jehovah, will allure her and speak her, and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. Where is John the Baptist? He's where? He's in the wilderness. And what's he saying? He's speaking. Hey, repent and be baptized for the remissions of sin. Don't go down there to this apostate. Come in here and get into, and that's literally what, what John the Baptist, what the Lord Jesus Christ, and what the 12 apostles are doing over there in Peter. And that, he says, come out from that untoward, uh, Acts chapter 2. Get out of that untoward generation. Get over here where you're supposed to be. Get out of that apostate nation. And what that begins to tell you, hold, hold on to Hosea. Run back to Isaiah 40. What that begins to tell you is that Israel, th this is not an issue of individuality. This is, an indiv this is an issue of a national. This is going to be a national baptism. It's going to be a national confession of sin. Look at Isaiah 40. D just notice Hosea 2 there. He says, I'm going to speak comfort. I'm going to allure her into the wilderness, and I'm going to speak comfortably to her. Look at Isaiah 40. Look at verse number 3. Here, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So there's John the Baptist, right? There he is. But look at verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sin. When the voice, verse 9, 49, 40 verse 9. O Zion, that, what, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. Verse 6, the voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh... John the Baptist, come back there to Hosea 2. John, what is, what is old John doing? He's the voice. What's he crying? He's, he's alluring her, calling them out of that apostate nation, and he's bringing in the issue of comfort ye, comfort ye. Where are they going to get that? Over here in that thing called the kingdom. That's what they're looking forward to. That's what they're moving to. John says, get out of here, get into here, because where we're headed is the kingdom of God. And if you want that, then you got to be in here. Come, get out of that apostate Israel. Okay? Hosea 2, verse 14 again. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her, and I will give her her vineyards from thence, and the valley of Achor for a door of hope, and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the days when she came up out of the land. Israel is in the wilderness of apostasy, and he is going to allow those that believe, those that follow, those that repent, to come into, the na into a nation. That's why he says, Fear not, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He looks at those Pharisees and says, Hey, we're taking it from you and giving it to a nation. Not nations. A nation. That believing remnant. That little flock. So this is exactly where we need to be. Mark 1, we're beginning it. We're starting it. Go back to Mark 1. 
what Matthew, what John the Baptist is going to do here, what the Lord's doing, what the twelve are going to be doing, is that they're going to be alluring some of the. They're going to think think about this. They're going to be out there alluring, calling in some unbelieving apostate Jews back into the little flock, that believing remnant, the place of faithfulness. And that's what Mark 1 is here with in verse 4 is getting us to with John the Baptist. Verse 5, Mark 1, 5. We're going to come back up to that issue of preaching the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins because if you think about this, the Lord dies, he ascends up, sends back the Holy Spirit. This is the Acts period. Then when he comes back, you've got the tribulation in here, the 70th week. When he comes back, that's when the remissions of sins is going to take place. Okay? Nationally. And that's going to be the kicker here as we go. Okay? Do you follow that? I hope you do. Look over, look over with me at Acts. Just, I just had it. Oh, yeah, Acts, look at Acts 4 and verse number 12. Peter is standing before Caiaphas and Annas and the Sanhedrin. In verse 12, he says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. As Peter says that, Peter knows individually that he's a what? He's a saved guy. He knows that individually, justified. But nationally, what's happening? Nationally, they don't get that until they get over here. And that's what John is telling them about, okay? Now, we'll, we'll dive into that a little more as we go here. Look. Look, if you will, at uh, back to Mark 1, verse 5. So he's out in the wilderness. He's calling them to repent. They hear it. They believe. They come to him. And uh, that's how they're going to get into the body, uh, into the believing remnant, uh, that little flock. And that's how the issue of baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins has to do with an issue of identifying that group of believers. He's in the wilderness. He's calling out a group of people out of Israel, getting them out, getting them in. That's really the theme. And in verse 5, guess what? It's working. It's moving. And there came unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. It's working. They, it's movement. Now, go back there to Acts 13. Notice Paul in Acts 13 as he talks about this with concerning John the Baptist. In Acts 13, Paul gives a history, a short account history of, the Old, of, uh, of Old Testament, Exodus to the Lord. And uh, he does it, there's several other passages that he does that. Then, then he starts with, so he starts with the Old Testament history, Exodus to the Lord. Then in verse 28, he starts there, and he goes from the Lord's cross to him. <laughs> okay? Look, if you will, at Acts 13, and look at verse 24. When John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to how many? All the people of Israel. He preached to who? All of them. And what, in verse 25, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? And off he goes. He preached to all the people of Israel, therefore it is a national baptism. It is a calling for, come back with me to John 3. It's a calling for a national repentance. John chapter 3. In John 3, we start with uh, Nicodemus, 
and the story, but verse 22, you have uh, John here, verse 22, and after these things came Jesus and his, and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in, in Enon near Salem, because there was much water there, and there came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. <laughs> Mark 1, verse 14, he's in prison. See how Mark just right over all the detail. He just, bam, that's what happened. But now notice something. Verse 25. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about what? Purifying. Isn't that interesting? They're out there baptizing, water baptizing, but they start arguing about purification. Because in Scripture, water baptism is about purification. It's a ceremonial cleansing. Come back with me to Ezekiel 36. And you have to remember, so when he says, repent and be ye baptized for the remissions of sin, He's talking about national issues, a national, Ezekiel 36, national baptism, but he's talking about cleaning them up for something, cleansing them, because they're, something's going to happen here. Uh, Ezekiel 36, verse 24, For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. He's going to sanctify them. He's going to set them apart now, okay? By the way, this is exactly what John the Baptist is doing. He's calling them out of the heathen. He's getting them out of that apostate, and he's putting them into the right place, the place of faithfulness, the believing remnant, the little flock. So in connection with the gospel of the kingdom... There's also the issue of gathering of Israel together into that little flock, that believing remnant. So you've got several things going on. Verse 25, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you. Now watch what happens. And ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I clean, cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. And on, on he goes. Notice, I'm, what is he going to do? He's going to take clean water, and he's going to do what with them? Cleanse them. Clean them up from their filthiness and from all their idols. Baptism, water, John is the first to baptize, use water. He's the first Baptist in Scripture. And by the way, this is a Jewish Baptist church that believes the Bible. A King James Bible, by the way. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they didn't have King James back there. I'll get a note for that. What? They, they didn't have, you know, the Septuagint, I guess, is the one that they, everybody thinks that they were reading. But what is he? What is, what's going on with the baptism there? Well, if the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin, guess what water can't do? Same thing. Okay? In talking about the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins, the sins is, the issue, is always the question. Because we think about sins as an over here breaking the law and doing... But notice in verse 25, the filthiness and what? And from all your idols. See, it's the sin of idolatry that has come in and contaminated the nation. It has come in physically. They're, they're, they've got what now? Little, how, little gods. But spiritually, and that's the issue in the gospel now. Is the spir spiritually, what have they done? They need to be cleaned up. Their filthiness, if, if you look back up at verse 17. Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land... They defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanliness of a removed woman. Wherefore I poured my 
fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land and for their idols wherewith they had polluted it. So what's happened? They are defiled. They've defiled what though? The land and themselves. So what do we learn? We know that Daniel, Daniel 9, yeah, think about Daniel 9. You're in Ezekiel. Look over at Daniel 9. Daniel 9, verse number 1. He looks there. He goes, in the first year of Darius, the son of all those guys in the realm of Chet. Verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by works the number of the years Wherefore the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. 70 years they were out of the land because they had defiled the land. So in seven, 70 Sabbaths, he has, the land has been purified. Right? Verse 24. 70 weeks are determined upon who? Thy people and thy holy city. You know what Daniel does? Verse 3. I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant, mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned. You know what Daniel does? Exactly what Leviticus 23 says. You've got to do a national confession for national sins. And you know what the Lord says? Listen, 70 years got the land purified, but we've got to have 70 weeks of years to get the people. That's 490 years to get the people clean because they're dirty. And when John goes out there and starts baptizing, he's doing a ceremonial cleansing of the people, of the believing, of the believers. And he's cleansing them. He's cleaning them up from the apostate, from the filthiness of the idolatry. Now, why that's important, come back to Exodus 20, well, Exodus 19, let's just go there. Because, because there's, there's a reason why the issue of water baptism here is so critical in Israel's history. Who's the little flock going to be? They're going to be a kingdom of priests. Exodus 19, if you look there at verse 5, now, theref uh, now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Isaiah 61 over there, verse 6, calls them the priest of the Lord. Where are we going? We're going over here, and guess what you're going to be? A kingdom of priests. Come to Exodus 29. Exodus 29. Israel's duty... Israel's future is to be that royal priesthood. That's the goal. Well, what do you do to the priesthood? Exodus 29 gives out the rules. Verse 1. Exodus 29, 1. And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them to hallow them. Hallow. Hold, set them apart. Identify them out as belonging to me. Hallow them to minister unto me in the priest's office. Okay, verse 4. And Aaron and his son, first thing, and Aaron and his son shall bring, uh, thou shalt bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shalt wash them with water. First thing you're going to do is what? We're going to ceremonially clean you up. Ezekiel 36. I'm going to take clean water and we're going to scrub you down. We're going to put the hose on you. We're going to, but it's a ceremony. It's a ceremonial purification. And when they are separated away, from the, when they leave that apostate nation under John the Baptist ministry, under the Lord's ministry, under the Twelve's ministry, subsequent little flock, they're going to leave that apostate nation and come in. They're going to come through the door, which is water baptism. We studied that when we studied in John. Okay, Verse 7. 
Then shalt thou take the anointing oil and pour it upon his head and anoint him. Then what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit gets poured out on him. Anointing oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. He gets poured out on him. So now they're, he's cleaned them up, purified them, set them apart for him. And then he poured out his Holy Spirit on them, gave them the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, Matthew 3. Well, Mark 1, uh, go back there to Mark 1. What did he say there? Mark 1, verse 8, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Why in the world does he say that? Because that's what's next. Number next. Okay? By the way, in, in, in Exodus 29 there, um, I moved away from it. <clears throat> if you look there at verse 21... And thou shalt take the blood that is upon the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it upon Aaron and upon his garments and upon his sons and upon the garments of his sons and uh, uh, with him and he shall be hallowed in his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Also thou shalt take the ram, the fat, and the rump and the fat that covereth the inwards and the, and the call above the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat, for, and just all of that, that issue of the blood there, and, you know, putting that on them and stuff, well, who covered them? The blood does, see, to make them a, that priest. Okay, now go back to Mark 1. Mark 1, verse 4, John the Baptist John did baptize in the wilderness. Again, he's in the wilderness. He's out there, not where, something's not right. Well, the something is really the someone. It's that apostate condition of the nation. Then he says, uh, preaching, preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. They're going to get their sins remitted when Christ comes back and sets up the kingdom. That's, I put it up here already. That's where we're going to do that. At the end of the tribulation, after the 70th week of Daniel's over, Daniel 9.24 gives you six, five or six reasons why those 70 weeks are there. It's to cleanse, the, it's to take care of, it's to clean up the people. And when it's done, then they get their sins remitted. But yet... They have to be, in, in order to get into the kingdom, in order to enjoy the Day of Atonement, that's what they have to do. It's not the way, come over to Acts 3. It's not the way you and I think about it. Okay? Acts 3. Look at what Peter says here, verse 18 and 19. Acts 3.18 But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted. That. Alright, so why repent and be converted? Why repent, change your mind about who Christ is. Who is he? Verse 18. He's the one the prophet said was going to come and die and suffer. That, why? Your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the time of restitution of all things, which God had spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. When do they get their sins blotted out? When? The time of restitution, when he's coming back, when he comes back and establishes the kingdom. So all along here, as they're believing and getting in, why? Because this day is what's coming, and that's what they're looking forward to. Okay? That's their goal. That's why Mark starts the way he does. And again, I'll just remind you, verse four, chapter 4 there, verse 12 whereby we must be saved. Peter, Peter knows he's a justified man individually. He's not talking individually. He's talking about the nation.
the national issue. Again, we're talking about national, we're not talking about the individuals. Matthew 1, you shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. His people's been there a while. The nation has. Didn't just pop up. It's been there the whole time. Look, look, look over at Luke, Luke 7. You see, the issue here, Luke 7, the issue of baptism, water baptism, the ceremonial cleansing, has to do with the national cleansing, has to do with the nation doing what's... Dan, again, Daniel, we have sinned. We, you go, we've studied this in our Understanding Israel study in Leviticus 23. You want to get out of any of the, those courses of judgment? National confession is the only way out. And by the way, you ain't going to do it. National, but that's the only out, and that's where they're at. Uh, look here at Luke 7. Look at verse 24. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken in the wind. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed and saw for raiment. Behold, they which are gor uh, gorgeous, uh, gorge, yeah, gorgeously, I had gorge, <laughs> you know, gorgorgously appareled and lived delicately are in the king's court. But what went ye out for to see? You didn't go out there looking for a sissy. They're up there in the, in the king's court. You didn't go out there looking for a guy waffling, a weed in the wren. You went out there looking for a prophet. Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is at least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Isn't that interesting? You see, John's a prophet. Now watch verse 29. And all the people that heard him, the publicans and the publicans, justified God. Isn't that interesting? Being baptized with the baptism of John. You know what they said? That God is right, justified. God is right in demanding Israel to repent. He's right in doing what he's doing with John the Baptist, starting with John the Baptist. We've justified, we've declared him to be in line with what the prophet said was to happen. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of John. You see, they rejected the, the water baptism of John. They rejected being identified with that believing remnant. Come back to Mark 1. See, the question over here is going to be, are you in the remnant? Are you in, are you not? So John, he shows up to call the believing remnant together, identify them, water baptism. Some are going to turn away from him, some aren't. They, they're doing, verse 5, they're coming and they're confessing their sins. They're doing the national confession. Verse 6, he's, verse 6 and 7 and 8, you know, he, he's dressed, he's identifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's, it's time to be done. We'll have more to say about these next week. But again, verse 8 there, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Again, you go to Matthew 3, and the king lays in the issue of the judgment, the fire. The servant doesn't do that. Mark doesn't do that. But just catch what's going on here. Mark, boom, boom, boom. But John is the beginning. We start with John and his ministry. And his ministry has to do with this calling out of that apostate nation 
and call, gathering together, alluring the little flock out. Okay? Now, by the way, when the Lord goes up into Galilee, shines the light and calls out, he calls out the 11 of the 12 apostles. The only one apostle from the south from Jerusalem was Judas. Again, he's going to do it. But you know what? That's just a blurb, a little bloop here. <laughs> He's just moving right along, okay? Well, we got down through five, four or five or six or eight verses there, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pick up in, in this and keep going. But the thing is, is again, not to belabor the point, but just Mark's going to move, and we're going to move with him. Um, as it, by the way, verse 9, and it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee and was baptized of John and George. I mean, boom, just nothing about the dove. Well, there is a dove descending upon him, but nothing about John saying, I'm going to show, I'm going to, you know, John 3, I'm going to point him out. I, here he is. That None of that. It's just, boom, it happened. And the father said, you know, here he is. Quick, quick, quick. Okay. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word and the study here and the look at this exciting little book. As we look at it, be instructive to us. In your name we pray. Amen.